Hello. Welcome to the myths and history of Greece and Rome. Well, as I'm sure you're aware, we're getting towards the end of our story of the Roman Empire now. Constantinople will fall in about 60 years' time, as far as our story goes, and after that I'm going to have to consider what to do next with the podcast. That's going to involve an awful lot of thought and quite a lot of writing. In order for me to be able to continue, I would be really grateful if you could donate as much as you can through my website, www.mythandhistory.co.uk. Any donations will be gratefully received and will hopefully allow me to continue the podcast down a new and different direction. However, we're not there yet. We've still got three or four chapters to go. And here's the next one. Chapter 144, Travels and Calls. Nobody had inherited the empire in a worse state than Manuel Paleologus. Aurelian, Heraclius, Alexius Comnenus and many others had come to the throne when it was in a lot of trouble, but none of them had faced anything like the situation that Manuel had to deal with. His empire was made up of a few separate patches of territory. The army and navy were not fit to defend it, and the empire was, in any case, a vassal state of the Ottomans, as were Serbia and Bulgaria. Worse than that, though, was the fact that Manuel was again a hostage of the Turks. Not a great deal to work with there, then. Manuel Paleologus was made of much stronger stuff than his father. As we will remember from the last chapter, he'd already managed to escape from imprisonment at least twice, and in 1391 he did it again. He was welcomed in Constantinople with enthusiasm. The people had become a bit tired of frightened old John V, and they didn't trust the young John VII, who was still keen on a return to power. In Manuel, they realised they got a real emperor who might just make things a little less awful and make them feel better about themselves. He was a tall and imposing man who, according to the Sultan Bayezid himself, showed he was an emperor just by the way he stood. He was in perfect health and very energetic. He was also very clever and loved literature and poetry. He was still, though, a vassal of the Turks, and he had an obligation to do some duties for the Sultan. Soon after he came to the throne, he was summoned back to Asia Minor and forced to help Bayezid capture the last few bits of territory he didn't yet control. Manuel was not too keen on this, but Bayezid made it clear he had no choice. He sent a letter saying that Manuel had better come, or shut the gates of your city and govern what lies behind them, for everything which lies beyond the gates belongs to me. As they came to each abandoned ancient Anatolian city which had been captured, Manuel would ask what the name of the city was. He later wrote about this experience. There are many cities in these regions, but they lack the one thing without which they can never be true cities. They have no people. And when I ask the names of the cities, the answer is always, we have destroyed these places and time has destroyed their names. By 1392, Manuel II was back in Constantinople and married. His new wife was Helena, daughter of Constantine Dragesh, the Serbian leader. Manuel settled down to govern what he had left and tried to work out how to free himself and his people from the Turks. In 1393 the answer came. There had been a rebellion in Bulgaria and Bayezid was hopping mad. He summoned his vassals to his camp. Manuel Paleologus, his nephew John VII, his brother Theodore, despot of the Morea, Constantine Dragash and Stephen Lazarevich, leaders of Serbia, and a few others were brought before the Sultan. Bayezid was in a horrible mood, and began by having a few hands and feet cut off the vassal's followers. It was obvious to the leaders they were about to be killed, but the Sultan suddenly had a complete mood change. He showered them with presents and sent them home. 
To Manuel Paleologus, it was clear the Ottoman Sultan was bonkers and he had to find a way to deal with him. He decided then and there he would never again agree to go and see Bayezid, even if he was threatened with death. Soon afterwards, another summons arrived, and Manuel put his plan into action. He was pretty sure that the walls of Constantinople would save him if the worst came to the worst. The worst came to the worst. Bayezid was blindly furious that the Basileus didn't jump to attention and do as he was told, and so in 1394 a massive Turkish army arrived under the walls of Constantinople. Thus began a siege which would last amazing eight years. Fortunately for the Empire, the Ottomans had not yet mastered sailing very well, and they didn't really have a navy. Supplies of food were brought to the city by boat, and so the people didn't starve. Bayezid wasn't only determined to take the great city. In 1396 he conquered Bulgaria, and then Thessaly. Soon Turkish troops had smashed their way into the Morea, and it seemed as if all of the imperial lands would be swallowed up. As the Ottomans moved across the Balkans, the Western Europeans suddenly began to take the threat seriously. The Christian lands of southeastern Europe were being eaten up by the Muslim invaders, and the Western Europeans started to fear that they may be next. In August 1396, a great crusading army swept down from Hungary. Frenchmen and Germans joined the Hungarians in an unstoppable force. A few important men were taken prisoner, but 10,000 less fortunate troops were beheaded in front of the Sultan, who was mightily pleased. Manuel realised that the Westerners were at last interested in helping him drive the Turks back, and he sent embassies out to England, France, Russia and others. Charles VI of France was glad to send about 12,000 men who barged through the Turkish siege and reached Constantinople. Manuel was glad to see them, and they had a few small victories, but 1,200 men were not going to turn the tide against the Turks. The leader of the French forces suggested that Manuel might have more luck getting the troops he needed if he personally travelled to meet the European kings. Manuel decided he had nothing to lose, and so on the 10th of December 1399, he set out from Constantinople on a grand tour of Europe. He left John VII in charge of Constantinople, and his wife and his two sons under the protection of his brother Theodore in the Morea. Then Manuel Paleologus made his way west. Bayezid, meanwhile, was growing even more unstable, and began calling himself the Thunderbolt. He renamed his empire the Sultanate of Rum, just like the Seljuks had. It was clear he was aiming to destroy the empire. Now, we remember Hadrian and his grand tour of the provinces. He made his way from Rome, through Gaul to Britain, and then through Spain and Africa into Syria. He returned to Rome via the Balkans. When he made his trip, Hadrian never left imperial territory. Manuel Paleologus left imperial ter- territory as soon as he left the Morea. What was once the Roman Empire in Europe was now a patchwork of different countries, and Manuel visited most of them. Manuel's tour of Europe was a celebrated event, and he was greeted warmly everywhere. The great period of learning called the Renaissance had just begun, and there was huge interest in all things Greek and Roman. And now, here was this tall, imposing, learned man, who was the emperor of a 1500-year-old empire, coming to visit them. Sadly, although Manuel was very popular, it did him no good. He didn't get the military help that he so desperately needed. Manuel began his great tour in Italy. He landed in Venice where he was given a beautiful welcome, very different from the welcome given to his father. Last time Manuel had been to get Venice, it was to rescue John V from captivity in the Serene Republic. Manuel moved through Italy to Milan. 
The Duke of Milan threw a huge banquet in the Emperor's honour. The Emperor's next call was probably the one he expected to be the most important. In June 1400, Manuel arrived in Paris to meet with the King of France. Charles VI had a whole wing of one of his palaces redecorated for the Emperor's stay. Manuel was treated to lavish banquets, hunting trips and a trip to the Sorbonne, the great University of Paris, where he discussed the arts and philosophy with the scholars. Charles promised Manuel another 1,200 troops the following year, but Manuel begged for more. Sadly, the talks got nowhere, because Charles VI of France had an unfortunate problem, which earned him the nickname Charles the Mad. He was okay most of the time, but every now and then he'd go completely potty. He would run through the palace shouting and screaming. He would refuse to wash for weeks on end. He would forget the names and faces of his own children, and demand that people call him George. Just as Manuel was pressing the French king for more aid, Charles had one of his attacks of madness, and the talks were at an end. Manuel gave up on the French and travelled to Calais, where he boarded a boat and crossed over the small stretch of water we now call the English Channel. It was time to call on the King of England. There had been some worry in the Emperor's camp that the King wouldn't meet him. Relations between England and France were always pretty bad, and Manuel's adviser thought that the King might not want to see them since they had just been entertained by Charles VI. Nothing could have been further from the truth. Manuel and his colleagues had to wait a couple of months while the English put down a, re a rebellion in Scotland. In December 1400, though, they made their way to London and were met by King Henry IV. The two men got on like old friends. Henry promised military aid and gave Manuel £4,000 to help him pay for mercenaries. The military aid, though, never came. Manuel Paleologus was the last Roman emperor to visit England. The first had been Claudius, 1350 years before. Many of the greatest emperors had set foot on that foggy island on the edge of the world, which was now a powerful kingdom. Vespasian had helped conquer the island. Hadrian had built his famous wall there. Septimius Severus had tried to slaughter the Scots in order to bring his family together. Constantius Chlorus had recaptured Britannia after it broke away from the empire. Constantine had escaped from Galerius to safety on the island. Valentinian had put down the great conspiracy. Just over a thousand years had gone by without an imperial visit before Manuel became the next and last emperor to cross the Channel. He left disappointed and returned to France. He met with the kings of Aragon and Portugal and the Pope. In the end, though, all of the kings of Europe had their own problems. Henry IV of England had to deal with the troublesome Welsh. The king of Aragon could not spare troops this late in the season. Charles the Mad was mad. Manuel was about to trudge home dejectedly when, while still in Paris, he received the news of a miracle. The West had not given the Empire any help. The Empire was saved by a power from the East. Timur the Lane, or Tamburlaine, was one of the rulers of the Mongols. He had seized the throne of the Mongol Empire in the ancient city of Samarkand, now in Uzbekistan, in 1369. First he drove his unbeatable army through Central Asia and invaded India. Everything in his way was destroyed. He moved north and Moscow was burned. Then Chamberlain turned his attention westward. He sacked Aleppo and captured Damascus. All of the city's citizens, mostly Muslims, were slaughtered, except for the skilled craftsmen who were deported back to Samarkand. In 1401, the Mongols captured Baghdad. Chamberlain ordered the population, again mostly Muslims, to be massacred. He demanded that each man in his army must bring him two severed heads. Any man who failed would have his own head removed.
1402, Chamberlain was ready to take on his final enemy in Asia. He was ready to challenge the Ottoman Turks. Bayezid was more used to fighting weak European powers like the Empire and the Bulgarians. He was most certainly not ready for the Mongols. The two armies met near the city of Ankyra and the Mongol army was victorious. 15,000 Turks were killed, while Bayezid escaped to the hills. Eventually he realised he was beaten and tried to flee. He didn't make it very far before he was captured. The Sultan was brought before Tamburlaine, who was playing chess with his son. He was given the respect he deserved for a while, but it seems the Mongol leader got fed up with this approach. Pretty soon he was using Bayezid as a footstool and carrying him across Anatolia in an iron cage. By March 1403, the Ottoman Sultan was dead. Tamburlaine scorched his way across Asia Minor, destroying everything in his way. It seemed he would cross over to Europe, but he got bored with the whole thing and took his forces back to Samarkand. Ottoman power, though, had been broken. The siege of Constantinople was lifted. Manuel Paleologus received the message and began his long journey home. He arrived in his capital on the 9th of June 1403. He had been gone for three and a half years. The new Ottoman leader in Europe was Suleiman, the eldest surviving son of Bayezid. He was completely different from his father. He was easygoing and sensible and realised he was in a weak position. He only had control over the Ottoman provinces in Europe. He immediately released the empire from being a vassal of the Ottomans and gave back Thessalonica, some of the Black Sea ports, parts of the Morea and some land in Thrace. Then amazingly, he announced that he was now the vassal of Manuel. All of this was marvellous and Manuel handled it very well. He agreed to the terms but was careful not to act as if he had won. He began to rebuild in his remaining territory. Art, culture and learning thrived in the empire once more. John VII was relieved of his duties in Constantinople and retired to Thessalonica. He died there in 1408, aged 38. All went well for Manuel until late 1409. He recaptured parts of Thessaly and all of the Morea and continued to improve the lives of the people. In late 1409, though, the sons of Bayezid decided to fight over who would be sultan of the whole Ottoman Empire. Suleiman asked Manuel to help him in the war with his brothers. He reminded the Basileus that he had been very kind to the empire, and that his brother, Musa, was likely to be a lot less friendly. Manuel agreed, and Suleiman won the first couple of battles. Musa was stronger and more determined than his brother, though, and in 1411 he took Adrianople. Musa captured his big brother and had him strangled. Then he cancelled all of Suleiman's promises to Manuel. Manuel was in trouble. He'd supported the wrong brother, and now he had to face the consequences. The emperor, very worried, searched for a solution. He found a solution. Musa and Suleiman had another brother called Mehmet. Manuel sent a note to Mehmet offering his support. Again, the final battle between the brothers was near Adrianople. Again, the attacker was successful. Mehmet defeated Musa, and again the victorious brother had the loser strangled. Mehmet was now the undisputed sultan, and he owed thanks to Manuel. The sultan was a peaceful and sensible man, and he and Manuel became friends. Now he had achieved peace with the Turks, Manuel set about protecting the small empire that remained in his hands. He travelled to Thessalonica, where the defences were strengthened, and then he moved on to the Morea, where he had a project in mind. The Morea, or the Peloponnese, is attached to the rest of the Balkan Peninsula by a six-mile stretch of land called the Isthmus of Corinth. Manuel Paleologus wanted to protect this important piece of territory, 
So he did what Domitian and Hadrian chose to do when they wanted to keep their enemies at bay. He built a wall. He was very pleased with his wall, and he named it the Hexamillion, which means the Six Miler. He travelled to Mystra, capital of the Morea, and met with the despot, his son Theodore. He then arrived back in Constantinople in 1416. Not long after he arrived, a man turned up claiming to be Mehmet's brother, Musafa, and begging the emperor for help. Manuel thought Musafa may be useful to him later, so he let him stay. In 1421, Manuel crowned his eldest son John as co-emperor to ensure that he would follow him on the throne. John was more aggressive than Manuel and wanted to attack the Turks. Manuel would not listen. Mehmet was his friend, and Mehmet had kept the peace for many years. Later in the year, Mehmet asked to cross imperial territory to get from his European lands to Asia Minor. John and some others suggested to Manuel that he have Mehmet killed as he crossed the empire. Manuel refused and even had a few dinners with the Sultan. He knew Mehmet well and he knew that the Ottoman leader would not break the peace. Manuel was right as usual, but unfortunately not for long. In May 1421, Mehmet suddenly died. He was was succeeded by his son Murad II. John Paleologus thought now was the time to seize his chance. He persuaded Manuel to release Musafa and declare that he should be the Ottoman Sultan. Manuel didn't want to, but he was old and tired and went along with his son's wishes. Musafa promised to return Gallipoli to the empire if he was victorious over Murad. It all went beautifully for a while. Musafa scored some good victories over his nephew and soon controlled most of the Ottoman lands in Europe. Here, though, it all went horribly wrong. Musafa refused to give back Gallipoli. Worse than this, he then attacked Murad in Asia Minor and was badly beaten. Worse than this, Murad sent a huge army over to Europe and gave Musafa's forces a good spanking. Worse even than this, Musafa was captured and killed and a very angry Sultan Murad II was determined to destroy the empire. The Turks immediately besieged both Constantinople and Thessalonica. John Paleologus bravely led the defence of Constantinople and soon Murad, who was not a patient man, got bored and gave up. Thessalonica was not so lucky. Manuel's son Andronicus was ill and he could see the city would not hold out. So what did he do? Did he beg for help? Did he surrender? Did he die in a last battle? No, he wrote to the Venetians and gave them the city. Thessalonica fell into Venetian hands, but not Turkish ones. Manuel suffered a stroke in 1423 which left him slightly paralysed. John Paleologus assumed the regency for his ill father and following in his father's footsteps travelled to Europe asking for help. He left his 19-year-old brother Constantine in charge while he was away. He was no more successful than his father and returned after a year. When he returned, Manuel received him sadly. After leaving him one evening, the emperor turned to his friend and said, At other times in our history, my son might have been a great Basileus, but he is not for the present time. I fear that his grand schemes may bring ruin on this house. In 1425, Manuel Paleologus retired to a monastery and died soon afterwards. He was 75 years old and had ruled the empire very well for 34 years. The courage and wisdom of this man kept a doomed empire alive and even improved its fortunes a little. Art, science and literature all bloomed during his time on the throne. Manuel was right about his son. John Paleologus could have been a very good emperor of a powerful empire, but the empire was weak and John was unable to strengthen it. He did his best, 
as did his brother Constantine after him. The empire, though, was clearly approaching its end. Next time, we'll see the empire decline further under the vigorous but ultimately unsuccessful rule of John VIII Paleologus. Until then, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.